I did everything in my power just to block it out and not think about it. And I got really good at it, um, which probably not a good thing to, you know, block things out that are clearly impacting your life and need to be addressed. You know, I'd have I'd have moments or I'd see things, you know, in the news or hear about other people that were, you know, somewhat related to gender or whatever, and it would kind of, you know, bring me back to, you know, a self-realization moment. And I, it was like a great cause of anxiety. I think that's an important thing to say. This is something that I've been trying to kind of tiptoe around, like, as in talking about this, because one thing I don't want to do is alienate the the trans community and delegitimize, you know, what they're feeling just because it's not, you know, from a genetic standpoint. I was genetically born both, but that doesn't mean that someone that wasn't genetically born, you know, as they were born or who they were born as, that doesn't take away from how they feel just because they don't have like a, you know, genetic thing to back it up. It goes back to, it's never about what anyone else thinks or anyone else feels about you. It's about how you feel about yourself. That's Kendra Little. And this is the Ritual Podcast. The Ritual Podcast. Hey everybody, how you guys doing? What's happening? My name is Rich Roll. I am your host here on this podcast thing. Welcome or welcome back. So here's the thing. I'm kind of old. I recently turned 53. My formative years were in the late 70s and the early 80s. And that was a time when I think I can safely say gender for the most part was basically considered binary, male, female. You were born a boy or you were born a girl, fixed, that's that, end of discussion. Well, times have changed in lots of ways, of course. And one of those ways is the way that we think about and understand gender. This rising increased awareness that's developing around the non-binary nature, the fluidity of gender roles, of gender identity, the very nature of gender and sexual identity itself. And given that, indulge me for a moment, I want you to imagine what it would be like to be born both male and female, genetically, intersex, which essentially means being born with certain variations in sex characteristics. Now I want you to imagine trying to navigate the world from this non-binary biological disposition. Well, this is the story of Kendra Little. Kendra is somebody who was raised as a girl, and at age 12, she learned for the very first time that she was born with something called androgen insensitivity syndrome, which is a variation on intersex that affects between two to five out of 100,000 people. Upon receiving this news, Kendra proceeded to isolate herself emotionally. Uh, As a girl, quote unquote girl, she never discussed it with anyone, and basically dove headlong into sports, a place where she excelled and felt at home. But eventually the dissonance, this disconnect, this dichotomy between her true self and that which she held out to the world became just too much to bear. And it prompted her to walk away from a promising career as a professional golfer, but it also led her on this kind of amazing journey of self-discovery and ultimately wholeness now able to fully embrace her own identity. Uh, Very recently, I might add, Kendra is sharing her story with the intention of helping to change the way that we 
think about and talk about gender constructs and also to bring comfort to anyone who may feel alone or ashamed of how they were born. I really love this conversation. It's incredible. But before we dig in, let's do some housekeeping. We all get it. Sometimes the news can really wear you down. That's why Wildcard, a new podcast from NPR, feels like a solution. It's an interview show that gives a special deck of cards to a whole bunch of fascinating guests, all in the hopes of sorting out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, all party game. Wildcard comes out every Thursday from NPR. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested, or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. Momentus products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentus's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentus for yourself by going to livemomentus.com slash richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in Fleetfoot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout.
Okay, Kendra. So out of the blue, back in mid-July, I think, uh, Kendra tweeted me, or maybe I was just tagged in a tweet, I don't recall exactly, with a link to a video about her story, uh, a mini-doc produced by LeBron James's production company, Uninterrupted, called Becoming More. I click play, and instantly I'm captivated by Kendra's appearance. Clearly, both male and female, but also kind of neither. She truly is her own unique thing. Uh, And then I'm compelled by the incredible story that unfolds. It's a story quite unlike I had personally previously ever come across. And I knew right away this was a story I wanted to help tell, uh, a person I wanted to know better, and frankly, a subject matter of social importance and relevance that I wanted to better understand. So here we are. And I got to say, it's indeed fascinating top to bottom. I would encourage all of you to check out the Becoming More video. I'll put a link up in the show notes to that. And the YouTube version of this show, as I think actually seeing Kendra really helps contextualize everything. So here we go. This is me and Kendra Little. Kendra, delighted to meet you. Thank you for doing this today. Thank you so much for having me, Rich. It's a pleasure to be here. I uh, I get hit up pretty regularly with people, you know, pitching this person or that person or pitching themselves, and yeah. I would say ninety nine point nine percent of those I just dismiss. Um, but you e- emailed me some time ago, and you shared the link to the uninterrupted video, which yeah. I watched right away, and I was like, wow, yeah, like this is definitely a person I want to. I want to know more about. Um, I knew immediately that you'd be a great guest for the show, and I think your story is amazing and powerful and courageous, and I'm honored to be able to help you share it here today. Yeah, thank you so much. I, like I said, um, you know, kind of came into awareness of of yourself about four or five years ago, and, and, you know, an avid listener of the podcast, and just with this whole story coming out, just thinking about, you know, how I want to share the story and, and kind of the, the corners of, you know, society I wanted to reach and mm-hmm. and just sort of the type of, you know, content that you put out. Um, I was like, yeah, reach out to Rich. What's what's the worst he's going to say? No? Or, no. or just not, not reply? <laughs> no, so I was no like, reply. you know, shooters got to shoot, right? Yeah, so I was like, course. I'll just see what happens. And then yeah. you emailed me back. And actually, first you were like, hey, I emailed you back on Twitter. And I was like, oh, God, I didn't see an email. There wasn't like, it didn't show up or whatever. There was like a glitch. And I was like, oh, uh, no. And then I was like. Oh, yeah, I think something happened. Yeah, yeah. So I was like email. having a panic moment. No, I'm, like, I'm glad that like <laughs> I tweeted you as well, because I wouldn't have known that that yeah, email didn't go through. Yeah. And I was like, well, I guess Kendra changed her mind. You know? <laughs> But yeah, I was uh, like, yeah, just yeah, just super honored and grateful to be here. So, well, cool. Yeah. Um, in the beginning of the video, the f- I think the first thing you say is like, I'm not sure where to begin with this story, and I feel like I'm in the same place. Like I'm not sure where to begin with it. Yeah. But I guess we can begin at the beginning. I yeah. mean, or maybe just explain a little bit about who you are and kind of provide a little context for the subject y- matter. Y- yeah. So you know. Um, former professional golfer, um, been an athlete my whole life. Um, my dad played basketball at the University of Oregon. Um, he got drafted in the NBA. Yeah. So what was his nickname? Uh, the Cowboy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Doug Cowboy Little. So he got that he got that nickname because um, so back in late '60s, early '70s, they didn't have a three point line. So mm-hmm. and he would always be shooting like these long shots. 
And his coach at the time was like, you know, in practice, like, hey, cowboy, take that shot back to the rodeo. So uh-huh. because it's like, you know, why are you shooting from so far out if there's no three point line? So kind of a right. Funny, kind of he, was, he was ahead of his time. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. He was a maverick. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, athletics is you know, sort of in my blood. And I have an older brother and an older sister who mm-hmm. are both athletes. And so athletics really played, you know, a big part of my life. You know, growing up, I always, you know, growing up figured, you know, I'd you know, every, not every kid, but most kids grow up, you know, oh yeah, I want to be a professional athlete or, or whatever the case is. And, um, fortunately had two older siblings that kind of, you know, pushed me around and, yeah. and kind of, I think, you know, brought my athleticism to a different level. So sports always, you know, been, been a big part of my life. And, um, so I, you know, played basketball and golf all throughout high school and was going to play basketball in college as well, but ended up just playing golf and, mm-hmm. um, played golf in college at the University of Oregon and and then turned pro and my life is you know just kind of revolved around athletics you know basically since I was five or six years old right. so um well with a dad named Cowboy yeah exactly I don't know if there was too much choice no exactly that's yeah. exactly right I you know I and what's funny is actually none of my family really play golf so uh-huh. um my brother did a little bit but um they never yeah they never my dad never pushed basketball on me that was something that was always you know I really enjoyed and um but golf ended up being, you know, kind of what I stuck with. So, yeah. yeah. So you grow up as a girl, raised as a girl, mm-hmm. identify as female mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. as well, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to get all of this correct yeah. and straight. Yeah, and yeah. And as yeah. somebody who you know was born in 1966, <laughs> you know, I don't want to. I don't want to fall down the rabbit hole of like old man syndrome. <laughs> and I realize there's a lot of nuance and complexity to this. So sure. it, it, I very, I, I very much want to like get this correct. So if I misstate something, please let me so know. So the first thing, first thing you need to know is like for me personally, I'm super low key about all of that. Like uh-huh. I, and throughout this whole process and kind of like self discovery. Um, I like just growing up, I'd get mistaken for, you know, a guy like, you know, not all the time, but it would happen. And it was Mm -hmm. something that was like, so mortifying. So just, you know, I would avoid like, you know, social, you know, interactions or, um, events to avoid, you know, that happening. And since this whole thing is, you know, transpired, it's like, I'm, I don't, it doesn't, I don't care anymore. It's like, I don't, you know, it's like I I've owned who I am and I, you know, I love myself for who I am and, it was never about anyone else or anything else. It was always, you know, on the inside. And mm-hmm. once I kind of figured that out, it was like, oh, okay, if someone mistakes me for a guy, cool, whatever. <laughs> but it's been a journey to get to that point. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. 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 It is very mm-hmm. interesting just sitting across from you, looking at you, because you are the manifestation of both female and male. Mm-hmm. Like there's aspects of your face and your physique that are very feminine and yeah. also aspects that are masculine. Uh-huh. And it's fascinating yeah. just to like look at you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I love it. I hope that's not like, I, I say that it. with love. No, absolutely. You know what I, mean? I love it. Like you're yeah. a beautiful person. Thank like you. it's 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 a very compelling, interesting yeah. like, look that you have. Yeah, thank you. And pose that you strike. Yeah, thank you so much. And that's like, I think growing up, um, because I found out, you know, at kind of a weird age at like 12, 13, right. When like puberty's hit, puberty's hitting, mm-hmm. like, um, they, you know, back then, what was it like 2000? Yeah. About 2000, 2001. Um, and like a lot of knowledge has like come, you know, into the fray, you know, like in the last 10 or 15 years, but, and this is still common practice. It's like, Oh, we'll just, you know, we're just going to raise her as a girl. And that's mm-hmm. that, you know, and that's, you know, we're going to put her on, you know, estrogen treatment and, going to raise her as a girl. And so for my, 
you know, when I found this out my entire life, I just tried to throw myself in the female box so hard and just like, and that's why, you know, getting mistaken for a guy was always so painful or whatever is because I was in my own head forcibly trying to put myself in that female box and rather than embracing my, you know, diverse genetic makeup, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So the first real pivotal moment though comes at 12 or 13 when you have this doctor's appointment. Mm -hmm. So walk me up to that point. Like prior to that, was there some gender confusion or were you convicted in being a girl? Was there some sense that there, I mean, what was the reason that you went to go see this doctor and what happened? Right. So, I mean, you know, kind of when you're, your earliest memories, you know, as, as when you're, you're a kid, you know, six, seven years old, you know, that's kind of, for me, at least like my first, you know, things when I look back on and think about like how you feel, that's when I first remember knowing or feeling that something was different. Mm -hmm. But at that age, you're, you're just so like your idea of the world is so basic and so, you know, minimal. Um, you don't really like know what to make of it. So I always knew something was different about myself, even before, you know, I found out that I was born intersex. Um, and I could never, you know, put my you know finger on it. I could never, you know, figure out what it was. I would, you know, I'd be in school and you know, I'd have my friends that were guys and friends that were girls and I could, you know, relate to, to, you know, both of them in in different ways, but also Mm -hmm. kind of feel like not really like fully be able to relate. Um, and so that was always something I, you know, I felt from a young age and didn't know what it meant. Um, so, um, you know, um, yeah, it's like 12 or 13, you know, you're going into middle school, you have to have your, you know, physical, uh, for sports or whatever the case was. So going for a physical and the, the nurse, um, you know, you do the, the whole, you know, body examination yeah. and she could tell that my body wasn't developing, you know, as a typical female would. And she's like, okay, we need to, we need to check this out. We need right. to see what's going on. And, um, so go up to OHSU, which is a very reputable hospital up in Portland. Um, and, yeah, that's when I that's when I discovered or they discovered through um, ultrasound and blood tests and all that stuff that I was born uh, with androgen insensitivity syndrome. Right. So explain what AIS is. So AIS is a condition. There's there's like three different conditions, um, and it's intersex is like a big like umbrella term for people that are not born within you know the typical gender binary mm-hmm. depending on you know what's inside their body. Right. It can um, mean a lot of different it things. It can. Right? Yeah, it's, it's like huge. an umbrella term. Yeah, and they say it's like one in two thousand, which mm-hmm. is true. But AIS is more like I don't want to misquote this, but it's something like one in two hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's pretty rare. Um, but that still means there's tens of thousands of people walking so, around. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, and it, so it can mean different things. So for me, I was born without any female reproductive parts, any you know female internally you know sexual reproductive parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born with male reproductive parts, reproductive parts, in internally. So that's essentially. But it was not evident when you were born. Exactly. So and that's where it can kind of, um, it can kind of you know, differ. So sometimes it's detectable at birth. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not detected until puberty, which was the case for me. Um, and what's really not a good thing. And there's doctors are still doing this is these babies that they detect, you know, are born intersex are assigning genders to these babies before, you know, they grow up and are able to decide for themselves who they want to be. And so you have these kids 
who are growing up and sometimes, you know, the parents won't even let them know that this happened. Um, and so they'll grow up and be like, I, I don't feel right. Something's, you know, something's different. I don't identify with, you know, my gender. And, and then they come to find out that they were born intersex and mm. were assigned a gender as an infant. So. Yeah. Well, we live in a, a binary dualistic society. I mean, when you're born, there's a birth certificate mm-hmm. and there's two boxes, right? So you got to check one of those. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that, uh, that's changing. Um, yeah. I was just, I was just telling Daniel that, um, Oregon just passed, uh, um, not a law, but they're allowing people to identify uh, as the third gender on license on their mm-hmm. license um, mm-hmm. when they're you know applying to, to get their license. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing you're seeing all these little things that are um, you know coming coming into the equation that are allowing people to be a little bit more you know diverse with right. what they identify. Fluid, as. yeah, fluid. And, exactly. And I think it's important. I mean, this comes into play when we're going to talk about sports down mm-hmm. the line here, but not to conflate intersex with trans, like these are different things. Exactly. That's, I think that's an important thing, important thing to say. Um, because in, this is something that I've been trying to kind of tiptoe around, like as in, in talking about this, because I don't, one thing I don't want to do is alienate the, the trans community and delegitimize, you know, what they're feeling just because it's not, you know, from a genetic standpoint, I was genetically born both but that doesn't mean that someone that wasn't genetically born, not you know, as they were born or who they were born as, that doesn't take away from how they feel, right? Just because they don't have like a you know genetic you know uh, thing to back it up, so. right? Yeah, there's a distinction between biology and gender, here, exactly, right? Exactly. And this is where it starts to quickly get complicated, <laughs> <Yeah>. and, and, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm the furthest you know from having mastered all of this, which is why I'm a little tentative about all of it. But Absolutely, I yeah. really want to learn and I want to better understand. Sure, um, but let's go back to twelve thirteen. You have yeah. this doctor's appointment. So, are you like chromosomally? Are you X Y mm-hmm. or you are okay? Right. Yep. So it really is this like merging of the two yeah. in a very unique way. Yeah, it's it's and it just you can look at it from so many different angles and um I kind of go back to my entire life just trying to identify like identify and force myself into this female box rather than embracing mm-hmm. that that masculine side of myself, that male side of myself and you know a lot of that has to do with society and has to do with how, uh, we're raised and how we come to understand the world. And, um, and if I would have had, you know, resources to deal with being told at 12, 13, that you're kind of born both, um, maybe this would have played out differently. Having said that, I wouldn't change, you know, anything right. about, how, about how it played out. And, um, I'm sitting here talking to you on, yeah. on, on your podcast about it, which is pretty cool. So, well, it's, <laughs> I, I look at you and it looks like it's an almost perfect blend, like a 50 50 kind of thing. Yeah. And it leaves me wondering whether that's always the case. Like, is, is it, does it tip sometimes more towards one of the two? Right, exactly. So, what's been cool about this, you know, and sharing my story is I've had a lot of people who are intersex and who are born with, you know, a variation of AIS reach out to me and, so yeah, it's it's there's definitely a spectrum. Um, there can be uh, a f- full-on male born with a variation of AIS, mm-hmm. and you look at him and you would never know. You would never assume that there was anything different or that they had you know uh, 
you know, variations of, of both genders. Um, it's just, it can be, um, right. And, and then on the other end of the spectrum, someone who is visibly very, you know, feminine looking could also, you know, have AIS. So yeah. it just depends. So you're in this situation where you have a choice between being a, you know, a masculine girl, young girl mm -hmm. or, a, you know, an effete young male, mm -hmm. but you've been raised as a girl, mm -hmm. you have this test. And what's interesting is kind of what happens in the wake of, you know, coming into this information, right? Like, where are your parents in all of this? And like, how did that, you know, go? Um, so I went up to that doctor's appointment with my mom only. My, I think my dad was working. And um, so we went up there and... Did you, first of all, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but like, was there, a, was there any sense on your parents' part, like now looking back uh, retroactively that they knew like something was a little bit different or was this a big surprise? You know, what's funny well? is, so it's important to state that me and my parents literally did not ever have a conversation about this outside of the one doctor's appointment in Portland that when I first found out. And uh -huh. then when we got referred to an internal medicine doctor in Eugene, that day we talked about it. We literally never talked about it. You're it was, like, okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Anyway, what's for dinner? Yeah. Okay. Hilar <laughs> hilarious story. So, just real quick, uh, I remember we went to that doctor's appointment in Eugene. It was me and my dad and my mom, and that was like just a traumatic experience in itself. But I uh -huh. remember walking out of the doctor's appointment, and me and my dad, my dad was like, I think the Lakers are playing tonight. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. That stands out in my head, like, uh -huh. clear as day. And Well, part of that's sort of cool. Like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll deal. Like, he's basically saying it's going to be okay. Like, I'm, I, I'm like, I'm not going to allow this to, like, color how I see you. 100%. And that's, yeah. and that's how I interpreted it. And I think, you know, I've heard a lot, not a lot of feedback, but just a lot of questions surrounding, you know, how my parents handled it and all mm -hmm. that. And... I think it's tough. I think you put yourself in my parents' shoes and and I'm the youngest, so it's I already have that, you know, baby, you know, complex uh -huh. or whatever. There I'm always going to be the youngest and um how would you handle it? You know, you're a parent. Like it's yeah. I'm sure you've thought about it in hearing the story. How would you handle um your kid you know, coming to the information that your kid was born intersex? It's it's you, there's no handbook. There's no like, oh, this is what you do. This is the, you know, I think in how they handled it, I think it was from a place of protection and love and just wanting to create a sense of normalcy for, for, for me. Um, and just kind of, you know, sweeping under the rug was, was, and it wasn't in like a, we're ashamed of this or we, no one needs to know about this because we're embarrassed about it. It was more, at least how I was out of protecting you out of protection. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd like to think that I would have a super woke reaction <laughs> right, to it, right. but you know, right. culturally we're in a very different place right now than True. we were 20 years ago. Very. So right. it's, it's easy to say, you know, right now everybody likes to think that they would, you know, do the right thing, you know, with whatever terrible thing was happening 50 years ago. Right. It's like, you weren't living in that moment. Right. I don't yeah. think it's fair to, Perspective in hindsight right. sure changes a lot. So yeah. that's exactly, I think you go back 20 years and it's just the rate at which the world is changing and society is changing, it's insane. So 20 years ago, it was a, a much different you know, uh -huh. world, so. 
right? But here you are, you know, 12, 13 years old, and it's, it, they don't tell your siblings, right? So your parents know, it's never discussed again, mm-hmm. but you've got this, you know, this bomb just dropped in your life where it's like, yeah. hey, you're not a girl, you're not a boy, you're kind of both, you're neither, you're, you're like, yeah. what are you supposed to do with that? Yeah. Like you have no, there's no counseling, there's no therapy, like how are you processing that as a young person? Exactly, I think I did everything in my power just to block it out mm-hmm. and not think about it, and I got really good at it. Um, which probably not a good thing. I think with yeah. anyth- anything in life, uh, it's never good to to you know block things out that are clearly impacting your life and need to be addressed. Um, I literally just blocked it out. Right. And you know, I'd have I'd have moments, or I'd have um, I'd see things you know in the news or hear about other people um, that were you know somewhat related to gender or whatever, and it would kind of you know bring me back to you know a self realization moment, and I'd. It was like a great cause of anxiety, obviously. Yeah. Um, it had to be incredibly confusing. Yeah, yeah, really confusing. Yeah. Um, well, also, um, it's considered like interse- I, I was diving, you know, and kind of getting ready to talk to you today. I was diving, you know, down this like rabbit hole of like what is intersex, mm-hmm. and and there's a lot of pieces that I read that classify it as a disorder, <laughs> yeah, right? And right. like, yeah, it's, oh, it's a yeah, disorder, yeah. it's a disorder. I saw that word come up again and again and mm-hmm. again. And mm-hmm. and I thought, it's not really a disorder. It's only a disorder because of how we socially classify gender, exactly. right? I mean, you're just there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. You're just born in a certain way that's different, but that doesn't mean that you have a disease or anything like that. And yet, there was a protocol, right? Like you end up taking, you, you were doing estrogen therapy for a long yep. time. Yep. Yeah, I think that's that's the biggest thing looking back for me was, I remember at 12 asking the doctor if this was life-threatening. A 12-year-old asking, mm. and he was like, he kind of laughed. He's like, oh, no, no, you're, you, it's it's not life-threatening. You can go on to live a long, healthy life, and, and it's fine. Um, but I think that was the biggest thing looking back was, and not to throw my parents. Under it can the bus. be life threatening though, because if you don't get help and you're confused, exactly. That's exactly yeah. right. If you don't have the resources, if you don't have something or someone, some support system helping you walk through this, absolutely, it can be life threatening. Yeah. Um, but it was. That's a great point. It's it's you see everywhere. It's a condition. It's mm-hmm. it's a disorder. It's you know, something's wrong with you, and it's that's not the case. Right. That that was the biggest discovery for me in this whole process was understanding that actually it's kind of cool I was born this way. It's uh-huh. it's what makes me unique. It's what makes me stand out. And um, I think everyone has something about them that makes them unique. Um, and it's kind of about discovering that and owning it. But um, that's. Going, you know, looking back as a kid, that was something that I really wish would have been yeah. clearly expressed to me. That Kendra, you know what? It was. It's great that you're born this way. You're mm-hmm. perfect, just how you are. Right. That was never rather told. than being stigmatized or or kind of carrying around this sense that there's something wrong, but yet nothing that you can do about it. Exactly. It's right? like you're gonna go to your doctor's appointments once every three months, and get this injection, and that was just always like just such a just awful thing. Right. I, you know, I, I'd go do it and then I'd be like, okay, like three months, you know, I don't have to go do that again for three months. And then that three months would fly by. And then <clears throat> the next couple of days, I'm like, Oh, I got to go to this doctor's appointment. Right. And that was, that was my childhood from 12 till 25. Right. So, but now being on the other side of this journey of self-discovery, 
of like embracing your authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, when you and and owning your story and kind of owning you know who you are fundamentally. When you walk into a room and you're like, you stand in your power, it's it's kind of fucking badass because it's like, <laughs> who is that? Like, right. I've never seen anyone who looks kind of like that. Like, yeah, like I'm. It's it's there's a magnetism to yeah, it. Yeah, thank you, know? you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so that's it's funny because it goes back to it's never about what anyone else thinks or anyone else feels about you. It's about how you feel about yourself and. Before I would, you know, I'm like six one almost, mm-hmm. um, athletic looking, and so already I kind of stand out. But you know, then there's these other features about me that make me stand out that don't, you know, that people look at and they kind of double take, and and I get that all the time. And before this this you know self discovery thing happened, that I was I would just avoid those situations. I yeah. would just try and sneak in and and just kind of go to the corner or whatever. And not that I enjoy the limelight really i'm i'm pretty introverted um but it's now it's i own all of this and i embrace it and people still like we were flying down here and and i was talking we were sitting there waiting to get on the plane in portland and um daniel and i are just like charging our phones and this couple is sitting i don't know 10 feet from us and i can tell they're talking about me he kind of uh-huh. like whispers in her ear and i was like in mid sentence talking to daniel and i was like sorry i got sidetracked these people are talking about me uh-huh. and and daniel just like starts laughing and um you just kind of have to like laugh at it because yeah. you don't really know what they're saying and it doesn't matter anyway and um but it yeah it is interesting um i think People, yeah, kind of look at me and are like, "Huh, what's going yeah. on there?" That's but that's you are different. in Portland. It's like the most progressive. I know city exactly. In America, there's no, so. there's no better place I really could be from than yeah. than Portland. So I'm I'm very lucky for that. So all right, so you start getting these estrogen injections, mm-hmm. and the idea behind that is to uh, like repress the the progression, the growth of like your innate maleness. Correct. And kind of keep that at bay. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, obviously. Finding out at that age is pivotal. You're about to go through puberty and your body's about to really change. So it's interesting to think about had I not gone on hormone treatment, what I would look like today or how mm. my mind would be different, um, all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, essentially that's what it was. Um, and that was kind of the goal was, or the plan was, I guess, um, not by my design really, um, take the, take the estrogen hormone, um, and then eventually, you know, have the, you know, the, my testes removed essentially, mm-hmm. um, to whatever. And that's, and that's what you hear, um, from all these doctors that, that go in and take them out of these children. Oh, it's, well, it's, it's, you know, it's cancer risk. And it's like, well, actually my body's completely healthy and fine and everything that's internally in my body is healthy. So like, that's not something that needs to happen immediately or at 18. Um, I can, you know, go on and live an extremely healthy life and everything internally in my body can be fully functional and fine. Um, but that's kind of what, that that's what they do. They yeah. kind of put it under the guise of, oh, well, it's a cancer risk, so we'll just take them out. And yeah. it's like, you that's something I've heard a ton from people reaching out um, and seeing my story is, well, yeah, I was, I'm intersex, but at, you know, as a baby, they, or whatever age they, you know, about the age that I, you know, found out that I was intersex, they removed, you know, had surgery. Right. So and it's depriving you of your agency and your choice about exactly. how you want to live and yep. be. Yep. Exactly. I mean, certainly, you know, if you want to make that decision for yourself at, at some point in adulthood, that's right. your prerogative. But the fact that it would be done, 
you know, at birth or as a young person doesn't seem to make sense. I know there were some, now there's some intersex advocacy groups that are really rallying against that practice. Yeah. Uh, Interact is, is one agency that I've been kind of in touch with and they've been, they've been great throughout this whole process. I've been talking with a lady that is kind of the, the head of that. And we had a, a really good conversation and, and just hearing about her experience, she's like, I think 45. So, mm. I mean, I can't imagine, um, you know, being born in the late seventies, you know, whenever she was born early eighties, um, I guess would be in the seventies. Um, and having, you know, what I found out it was, it already was, you know, not, you know, woke, you know, the, you know, like everyone, I can't imagine being born in the seventies and the right. lack of information that they had back then. Like, yeah. It's it's crazy to think about. So yeah, well, you know, this is all happening in a, at a good time for you. Yes. Yeah. So what is the experience of of getting uh, estrogen injections? Like, how does that change how you feel? So I just remember, um, from an aesthetic standpoint, my body I gained weight, I had acne, mm -hmm. um, really soft features, lethargic all the time. Bas like I said, basketball was, you know, a big part of my life and just absolutely loved playing. And I never, I look back on my high school career and there was never a game where I felt like my energy level was at a hundred percent. I was always at 75, 80%, no matter what. And it's not like I wasn't conditioning. It wasn't, it's not like I wasn't practicing, you know, mm -hmm. doing all these things. Um, and so that was a big part of it. Um, just, just your overall, um, morale is just down. Um, that's the best way I can explain it. And that's yeah. how, that's traditionally how I always felt was just, just not at a hundred percent. And for me, it's like, you're putting something, you know, for an agent in your body that's not meant to be there. Clearly I was born this way and should just be left alone. And yeah. I don't need anything else. I don't need some foreign agent, you know, to come into my body and, um, yeah, disrupt your, disrupt, your exactly. hormonal regulation. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was um, just not not a good experience yeah. at all. Um, and I stopped taking it. I'm, I'll be 31 in a couple of days. Um, stopped taking it when I was 25. And from basically 25 on, I've, I've never felt better. I've never felt more energized, more alert, um, just cognitive function, just everything. And that's... I don't have any science to back that, but just speaking from my experience and my perspective, uh -huh. that's that's just how I've you know yeah. I felt. So well, it's great that your body could still go back to its yeah. set point yeah. after after that that practice going on for so many years. Yeah, that's I think that's you know a just just speaks to how amazing our bodies are and how amazing the human body is. Mm -hmm. um, you know. It's 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 built to last. It's designed to to fix itself and and to thrive if if you if you give it the right thing. So yeah. um, it is it is amazing. We're brought to you today by Brain FM. You know that thing when you have a bunch of intense work that you just have to do, but the mind doesn't really want to do it. You're telling it, come on, focus, but it keeps getting distracted or agitated by nonsense. And you go through this painful sort of mini war to rein it in, to settle it down and just concentrate on the thing. Wouldn't it be great if there was something that would ease or eliminate this process? I don't know, like something you put in your brain through your ears? That would be great. And the good news is that it does exist. 
It's called Brain.fm, which is this sonic platform that leverages science to create tunes specifically crafted to optimize brain performance for a specific task. Tunes that contain patterns that shift your brain state with something even more effective than binaural beats called neural entrainment so that you can more easily focus on that thing or lure you into the sleep that persistently eludes you. Personally, I notice it the most when I sit down to write. Typically, this experience floods me with anxiety and a near lethal dose of the big R resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about. But now I pop on the headphones, I dial up brain.fm, click the focus feature, And the process becomes, I mean, look, writing is still hard, but now it really is so much easier to get into that state of flow and stay there. So if you're ready to unlock your focus and productivity, I've got a special offer just for you. I asked them to give my listeners 30 days free and you can get it at brain.fm slash richroll. I bet you'll love it just as much as I do. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic Fairtrade cotton, birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive, and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm going to tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. 
I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia. And he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but Basically, you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. Well, it was interesting in the video, you see these pictures of you when you were much younger mm. and when you were taking the hormones and, and you look a lot different. Yeah. Like you look very, very much a girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, that had a profound impact on like your, not just your physiology, but like how you navigated the world at that time. Yeah, absolutely. It, it you know, played into sexuality. It played into how I saw myself. Um, and it's all, it's all connected. You know, mm-hmm. it's, there's, you know, there's different, you know, sectors of, of the mind and the body, but it is all interconnected. And um, it, it impacted the way... I felt the way I saw the world, the way I saw myself. Um, Did you do like the traditional date boys in high school thing, or what uh, was that like? Kinda. Um, <laughs> I, I hadn't. Not really. Uh-huh. Um, and that's another thing that's really funny is I remember going back when I was six or seven years old. Like I had crushes on girls. Like there's no doubt about it. And and thinking about it and that even looking back on that, that was definitely like kind of the first sign that uh, something was different. Um, something was causing that either whatever, but, um, but yeah, I, I tried to, you know, I tried to fit into that mold. I tried to, um, I had an older, I have an older sister and, and she, you know, was an incredible influence on me and just kind of helped me navigate. And she obviously, she didn't know, but I think sisters have certain experiences together and certain conversations together. And those obviously weren't happening. You know, I didn't, I didn't menstruate. I didn't do these things that, um, you know, sisters would probably be talking about. Um, so she, she, and she's pretty intuitive herself. Mm-hmm. Um, so she knew something was, was different. Um, but didn't, you know, didn't never say, anything. never said anything, yeah. didn't, you know, fully understand. And, um, but having her kind of help me and she was so supportive and so inclusive and just, wanted me to be around her and hang out with her friends. And, um, and at a time where my self-confidence and self-esteem was, was low, um, honestly, uh, that was huge. And it helped, she kind of helped me navigate a very difficult time for any youth, you know, going through high school or middle school. Um, it's a, it's a confusing time as it is, let alone trying to navigate being both genders kind of. So, Right. Well, you must have gotten some self-confidence from sports because you're crushing it in basketball and golf. I, I'm beyond grateful for, yeah. for athletics. That's probably saved my life. Um, not that I ever had any, you know, moments of uh, just I didn't have any rock bottom moments. I don't think. Um, but l- sports were always the centerpiece of my life growing uh-huh. up. And, and had been until I stopped playing professional golf. So in a way, it, it held me back in some 
you know, in some areas of, of self-discovery, but also was kind of the vehicle to navigate me through um, a lot of confusion mm-hmm. and almost served as a distraction, um, which I think distractions in life can can be positive. Um, I think they're necessary in, in certain times, but um, sports, yeah, it's yeah, saved my life essentially. So what like in high school, what was your crowd? Like I, I take it you were like a pretty like, you know, sort of to yourself kind of person, but... Like who were you hanging out with? Yeah, I, w- I was. Yeah. I like I was, but I, I did. I had a lot of friends, and uh-huh. I think, and it's been really cool since this video came out. Um, hearing from people from that I grew up with, from elementary school through high school, and and I I I keep hearing the same answer is you know wow this this kind of makes sense because we always just saw you as Kendra like we never like. And I, I hear that from my brother and sister. I hear that from their friends. I hear it from my friends. It's like, oh, well, never really thought about it. We felt something was different, maybe, but we just saw you as Kendra. And mm-hmm. that's how I feel to this day. And that's how I always felt growing up. And, um, But yeah, I, I, I did kind of keep to myself, I, the kind of keeping people at bay. I didn't let anyone really get too close to me, but was kind of friends with everyone and and nice to everyone and, and got along with everyone and just, you know, just kind of tried to just just go about my business yeah. and was yeah. anyone like I knew I knew all along I knew from day one like all like you know 2020 in retrospect I honestly no one has said that no the only thing I've gotten is we knew we just kind of thought you were a tomboy that's kind of mm-hmm. like what I what I get um but no one is and that's what's crazy so had you ever heard of intersex or were you familiar with it before you saw my story no, I mean, I've been f- sort of following at arm's length, like the Castor Semenya's case. So, I mean, that's probably the, you know, the closest that I've gotten yeah. to kind of understanding that. Yeah. World. So it's just, people just don't know about it. Um, right. And people, you hear a lot about like hermaphrodites and that's literally not something that is like a human can't be. That means that you have literally both both reproductive mm-hmm. parts and you're you know that's not something that happens in, in with humans so and that's it's kind of a pejorative term it for is and it's not it, right? yeah it's a very kind of yeah not not something that you'll you'll hear that sometimes and it's very uh yeah not not a welcome right. term um so yeah everyone is just like oh wow i didn't even know this was a thing and so i we were talking uninterrupted yesterday and in front of you know 50 people and so i was like had anyone heard of intersex or have you known an intersex person before you saw my video and like three people raised their hand. So, or they're um, like, or they think it means trans. Yeah. See, that's, that's where it's, you know, it's, it's just, they do get kind of lumped together Mm -hmm. and they're, but they're, you know, obviously we talked about, they're extremely different. So Mm -hmm. this whole process has been, it's been educational for me because for a lot of my life, I didn't even want to think about it. I didn't want to research it. I didn't want to hear about it. I just blocked it out. And so if, even for me, you know, doing research and learning about it as I'm, you know, telling this, this the world my story has, has been crazy. But um, hearing from people, whether it's strangers or friends, wanting to know more and, and wanting to ask questions. And that's that's what I want. You know, mm. at, at this point, I'm an, I'm an open book and I want, you know, I want people to be educated. Right. So. So you go off to Oregon for college mm-hmm. and you play golf and you're killing it, right? Like you clearly super talented golfer. Um, you have this crazy long swing, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. that's what you were known for. Yeah. And I read a little bit, you know, a couple articles and people were like, yeah, I mean, Kendra could just go into any tournament and win when she put her mind to it. But there was always the, the consensus or it seemed like people were saying, 
you know, she should have gone further with mm -hmm. it. Like there's no reason why she couldn't have been just absolutely killing it on the, on the, on the LPGA tour. So there was something holding you back, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so walk me up, you know, walk me through this experience of playing golf in college and going pro and what happened. Yeah. So I, I just have a very weird relationship with golf. I always have. Um, basketball was always my main sport. It was always my, my true love. And um, I think part of me always feels like I wish I would have taken basketball further. I could have played both in college. Mm -hmm. I opted to just play golf um, in the in the form of, of being practical, I guess, and, and, and with the idea of turning pro after college, which it's just funny because when you when you look back and think about how you view age and view the world when you're in high school going into college, you think you have all this time and you think, oh, that's, you know, five years away. I'll, I'll figure it out. Uh, you know, when I'm after college and looking to turn pro, I'll figure it out then. And it goes by quicker than you think. And so I always kind of just went along with this idea that I'd play professional golf and I'd just do it. And, um, and then with that, I have this, you know, huge thing going on that I haven't addressed in my entire life. So I just, um, you know, I just kind of delayed it and just let it be and just kind of went along this, this path of, oh yeah, I'll, I'll turn pro. And so I go play in college for four years and do really well. And, um, I'm working towards this, this goal that's everyone thinks is my dream that I'm going to go play you know, professional golf and be on the LPGA. And I just kind of go along with it. And, but it wasn't really your dream. No, it really, it really wasn't. Um, and I think, I think it's interesting to look back and think about how I would have viewed golf differently if I would have just been born, uh, or athletics in general, um, had I just been born, you know, a, a fully functioning female, none of this extra uh, baggage going on, how I would have dealt with it and, and what I would, had I been born, you know, fully female, what my goals would have been, how I would have viewed the sport and, and you know, how I would have navigated that. But, um, so yeah, I'd, I had a really successful college career, um, won tournaments, placed well, all conference, all that stuff. Um, and had a fifth year at school afterwards. My, my senior year didn't end very well. And, um, I was kind of burnt out on golf. So I was kind of thinking about my options, but, um, I was like, well, I, I need to try this. I need to, you know, I need to turn pro and, and, um, and see, you know, where this goes. Meanwhile, just still refusing to, to think about, you know, the, the, the underlying issue of, of gender. Was there a sense that someday, you know, that moment, that reckoning would come or were you operating under the idea? Like, I'm just going to hide this forever. So I figured, I figured one day it would, it would come out. And I think always in the back of my head, I knew that it was going to get to a point after I turned pro that I was either going to have to fully face it and, 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 come out to the world and be like, I'm, I was born intersex. I'm going to continue to play professional golf and I'm going to figure this out. And the, the governing bodies we're going to have to, you know, because they have rules and regulations set in place. Um, and we're going to, we're going to figure it out, or it's going to be the reason I stepped away from golf mm -hmm. and it ended up being the latter. So, um, I just knew that I played on the Symmetra tour for, for two years. I had status for another, another year before I stopped playing. And, um, I had a little bit of success, not a lot, 
um, and kind of what you what you're speaking to, just people being like, I don't, what's going on there? Like she she has all the tools, you know, she has everything to to make it to the top, and um, there's there's something going on there. There's right. And I had my swing coach um, who was a fraternity brother of my dad's in college, actually, um, who I had worked with, you know, as a kid and in into college and then as a pro. Um, he was interviewed for for a golf week article and and he said something like. I always questioned her mental strength. I, I just figured, you know, she she didn't have a lot of strength, and he obviously didn't know any of this um, about, you know, the way I was born. And and he was like, you know, in coming into this knowledge about how she was born, I you know I can't imagine how how mentally tough she is. So right. um, I think that's I always I always felt like I was mentally weak because that's what I heard from people. Like, um, why aren't you producing? Why aren't you shooting these numbers? Why aren't you progressing to the LPGA? You have all these, you have all the ability in the world and are you not passionate about it? Or do you not have the work ethic? Um, and it wasn't that it was this underlying, you know, issue of, of, uh, not addressing. Right. Well, a, you're not a fully integrated person. Like you're, you're, you're in denial of your true essence. So in a game like golf where precision is everything, Um, that dissonance can't help but affect your game. Exactly, and that's something that I I don't think I ever took into account that this issue was affecting every aspect of my golf game, of my personal life. It was one hundred percent, especially with a, a, in a game like golf where you have so much time to think about things and process things. And the reason I like basketball so much was because I could just rely on my you know inherent athleticism and ability to just react and not think about it. Mm-hmm. Golf, I had all the time in the world to think about everything and not a good thing. Yeah, me. thinking, <laughs> that's not going to help. Right, right, exactly. Like golf's yeah. all about trying to not think. Yeah, exactly. And that's some of the best golfers uh, are just able to just calm their minds down and, and just go yeah. out there and, and, and be reactive and just, just play. Right. So. so you have that going on. But I think... At the same time, like I look at it as um, a fear of success, really, because success would mean ultimately that this secret is going to come out and it's not going to come out on your terms. 100%. It's exactly what it was fear of, of being successful. And um, because that would 100% mean that it was going to come out. I remember I qualified to play in the US Women's Open and I was. Like terrified, I was going to get drug tested, and they were going to find, you know, even though I was still on estrogen, they were going to find higher levels to, of testosterone, mm-hmm. and I was going to get, you know, outed, and that was like a horrifying experience. I played awfully at the Open, and um, it was an incredible experience because it's the U.S. Women's Open. But um, I was, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm just sitting there, like waiting to get tapped on the shoulder, come with me, we got to go right. paint a cup. So yeah, you could have. Called a press conference though, and come out with it. <laughs> I know, right? Like, exactly. You know, like, I, mean? I have a, I have something small to announce, <laughs> yeah. and just and just kind of just outed myself, and, uh-huh. and just and just brought on the storm. Um, and it's just you weren't ready. Exactly. Exactly. So you end up quitting golf, mm-hmm. and then it was it was around that exact same time that you stopped at the estrogen treatments. Yep. Yep. And so, what was that decision all about? Um, I was just. I was just tired of the way it was making me feel, um, the way, what it was doing to my body. Um, I weigh like, I'm six one. I weighed, I don't know, 160, something like that. Um, and I was, you know, 180, 185. And mm. I mean, I was working out and stuff. I was healthy. I wasn't, you know, doing anything it's crazy. It's weird that the estrogen made you gain weight. Yep. 
Yeah. When it's supposed to keep this hormone at bay yeah. that is associated with muscle bulk yeah. and the like. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't know, you know, I'm sure there's there's science behind it or, you know, whatever, but it's it was almost not instant, but as soon as I stopped taking it, I leaned out. Um, I was able to put on more muscle mass, um, which sort of makes sense. But um, I think my frame just in general is more obviously more of a lean frame. So I just got kind of got back to, to yeah. my, I'm my play essence. basketball now. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to go do an open tryout. Just, just, yeah, yeah just, just play basketball. Actually, uh-huh. when I stopped playing golf, I actually went and, you know, joined a city league, um, in Portland and, and played a bunch of basketball. So uh-huh. that was like so fun. I don't do it anymore just because I'm just, I don't want to, you know, tear an ACL or tear an Achilles yeah. over, you know, an open gym. So, um, and how long did, once you stopped the estrogen, how yeah. long did it take for your body to kind of reach a, a stable set point? I would say probably a year. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a year. That's kind of when I really started to notice a difference, you know, sort of physically and mentally, mm-hmm. um, was about a year. So, and the fact that you made that decision tells me that you're inching up towards, you know, a willingness to own this finally. I think so. Um, and you never know. Like, was there something that prompted that decision? Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, I met someone last summer. Uh huh. Yeah. And that, that completely flipped my paradigm 100%. Yeah. When that person was like, what are you doing? Or were you honest with that person? So I met her, uh, last June. Yeah. June, 2018 in Portland. Um, and she, she knew right away. Um, something was, something was different. Uh Something was, um, but it was, was totally accepting. And, and it's just funny because I didn't, obviously didn't tell her right away. Like I still hadn't told anyone. Um, and it led, I think I told her, actually I told her on my birthday, uh, 2018, which was sort of been like a month and a half later. Um, we had an open conversation about it and, um, she was like, yeah, Kendra, I already knew. And yeah. I don't care. Like, I think you're, I think you're great. I think you're perfect how you are. And, and it's so funny because I, you know, growing up, I always kind of imagined what that conversation would be like with the first person that I told and just kind of fearing their reaction or fearing, um, uh, you know, being denied or being, um, just made to feel less and, we, as humans, I guess we sometimes, you know, always fear the worst or think that the worst thing is going to happen. And it was the complete opposite of what happened. And it was like, oh, okay, well, that went pretty well. Maybe, you know, I'll have a, a conversation with it about, about this with my family. Yeah. So. Well, the scarier thing, we, we sort of assume like we're afraid of what all these people are going to think. But I think in your case, it's really about having to then own this essential truth about who you are. Like that's the truly terrifying part of it. Exactly. That's you can hide behind like, oh, I don't want the judgment of other people. It's, not, yeah. it's the self judgment. It's not what it exactly. It's 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 never about what, what anyone else thinks or feels about you. It's always about how you feel about yourself. And uh-huh. for my entire life, I didn't understand that. It was always, oh, well, I'm afraid of what people are gonna think or what people are gonna say. And and I think you never know what event is going to prompt you to kind of own yourself or whatever, you know, situation it is. Um, for me, it was meeting someone and being, being told that I think you're great. I think the way you're born is really cool. Um, that's what it was for me. And 
so it could be meeting someone, it could be an event that happens to you, it could be, you know, a situation that you're in. You never really know what it is mm-hmm. going to be, but it it is always within you and maybe it just takes something to to bring it out. Yeah. And the next kind of phase is when you you write a couple letters, right? Mm-hmm. So how long after that? Did yeah, that so I think I wrote that letter to my family when would that have been? That would have been September? No. Yeah, September, early September. So it was yeah. probably three or four weeks after after I uh, I had had that first conversation, and that was <laughs> I sat in a in a coffee shop in Portland and I actually typed it. I didn't write it. It would have been cool to be handwritten, uh-huh. but it would have been really long. Um, typed it in a coffee shop and and just kind of unloaded on it for for three hours and uh, and sent it off to, to all of them and. Um, and then, yeah, the, the phone started blowing up from, yeah. from everyone. So <laughs> my brother, he was living uh, in, in Hollywood at the time. Uh, my sister, where was she? I guess she was she was living in Portland as, as well, and, and my parents were in Portland. But, um, yeah, I kind of dropped that, that bomb on them. And, um, and my parents, in talking to them, you know, in hindsight, they were like, yeah, this was always, we knew this, was, this day was going to come. We just didn't know when it was going to come, and, and we wanted it to be on your terms. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. 
Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. When you look back on how they parented you through that, do you have misgivings? Like, do you feel like, I wish they had known this or had done this? And how do they feel about, you know, how that whole thing went? I think from my standpoint, I don't, I don't have any, any ill feelings towards them at all. Um, I think because I know how they acted was from a place of, of protection and love. Um, that was the, always the attitude I got from them in regards to this. It was never, like I said, it was never, you know, we're ashamed of this. We can't tell anyone we're embarrassed by this. Um, it was, I could just sense that it was from a place of protection. I think they, and they haven't really been open with me about how they truly felt um, in dealing with it. I think they had a lot of guilt, um, you know, as you get yeah. older and you can kind of start to see through, you know, what your parents tell you. You can kind of like, oh, they're right. lying. They're not. That's, you know, that's BS. But um, I just feel like at least at one point they would have been like, Kendra, you know, remember that thing when you were 12? Like, are you okay? Like, yeah. how's it going? Yeah. Like, can we, do we need to talk about yeah. this? Like, it's you, crazy, right? Is there somebody that you want to talk yeah. to? You know, yeah, can we help you? Like, never what's happened. going on inside? Never happened. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Um, and from the outside, I can, I can see why people would be like, what is going on there? Like, why, <laughs> yeah. why was that? Like, not even like, Hey Kendra, like, you know, that time when you were to- told you were born both genders, like, is that, how, <laughs> yeah. how are you doing with that? Did that? I mean, were you like, wait, did that actually happen? Yeah. Or was that like some dream that I had? It was like an out of body experience. It was uh-huh. like transporting to a, a different realm and just like, wait, did I just hear that right? Like I'm wow. both, huh? So, yeah. um, so yeah, I think I think they 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 harbored a lot of guilt yeah. over it. It's and like you're kind, you're like a you, you know like a, you're like a, a superhero or you're you're um, not the Avengers. Who are the ones that all go to the school? What? You know, the, the, um, the mutants. Oh, teen, you know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No, 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 no. The one where okay. the guy in the wheelchair. You know the superhero movies. I don't where want all the kids su- that are different, and they go to the school. And I, I honestly, what's that called? Help, you know, help us what's out. What's that? X Men. Yeah, the X Men. Oh, Duh, yeah. Oh. It's like you're you're kind of an X Man. Yeah, yeah. But like, we're not going to talk about. Yeah, it exactly. Like, you exactly. just file that away, and you're exactly, <laughs> your exactly, right. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because uh, I was having a conversation with with one of my buddies. His name is Mike, um, and he was saying like, you know, your story really reminds me of this this uh, this animated cartoon that I used to watch and I don't remember the name of it but he was like this cartoon had all these cool superpowers and never felt like he could tell share it with the world because he thought that everyone would think he was weird and he was embarrassed about it but really when he did tell him it made everyone like him and think he was uh-huh. this coolest thing and, and I was like that's yeah that's pretty cute right I'll, I'll go with that yeah. <laughs> I don't have superpowers but 
I'm both genders, right. so. And just to be clear, like I use the word mutant because that's what the X-Men, <laughs> yeah. that's the vernacular of the X-Men. I don't, yeah. I'm not saying that in the context of being intersex, right. okay? <laughs> totally. Like, please don't at me with that, all right? Um, all right, oh, but you yeah. write these letters and it sounds like they're pretty well received, right? Like you're yeah. loved by your yeah. siblings and your yeah. parents and all of that. Yeah. Um, so how do you go from there to now, you know, kind of, being public about this, yeah, of uh, avoiding YouTube comments, avoiding uh-huh. uh, comments in, in USA Today articles. Well, how did the <laughs> Uninterrupted project come together? We should say, yeah. like, Uninterrupted is the digital production company of LeBron James yep. and right? Maverick did, Carter. Yep. Yeah, did they approach you, or how did they no, find out, or so how did this happen? It's a crazy story, actually. Um, so, after I had that initial conversation, um, it was kind of. Tossed, the idea was kind of tossed around like, hey, you know, you should really tell this story publicly and I think it would it would help a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, yeah, like I'd kind of just hold my, my family and. But how did they know then? Whoa. Well, who said, like, I'm confused. So did they, re- you reached, who reached out to who? Right, right. So this, so the idea that I would maybe approach some, some media okay, entity um, mm-hmm. would you know, and, and approach them and be like, hey, I have this story uh, I, I want to share. Would you be interested in helping mm-hmm. me tell it? Um, so at first, and I won't, I won't name the media company, it was another kind of um, athlete-geared media company. I approached them and said, hey, well, first I reached out to a friend who I thought might have a connection there. And so I told that friend, who was like the second, third person, you know, that I'd ever shared my story with, it's like, hey, do you think this is something they might be interested in telling? He was like, I think so. Let me get in touch with my friend who's an editor there. So was in touch with that editor for like two months and the process just was really slow. It wasn't going, I didn't feel like it was going anywhere and I was kind of getting frustrated. And I ended up telling Daniel, who's here with us today, my friend, um, my story. And uh, I had told him, I was like, you know, I'm talking to this media company about sharing this story, you know, on, on a platform, but it's not really going anywhere. I'm kind of frustrated. And he was like, well, I have this friend who works at Uninterrupted you should reach out to them and mm-hmm. see if they would be interested in, in sharing it. I think they would. So he gave me his friend's contact information and I wrote an email and said, hey, this is my story. Would you guys be interested in, in helping me tell the world about it? And he was like, definitely. And I'm, it was almost like the next day I was on the phone call with um, Jimmy Spencer, the, the VP there, and, and a creative director, Camille, who I worked closely with throughout this whole thing. And they were incredible. So that's kind of how that yeah. that kind of came in, into light. And, and that was in December of 2018. Right. So, so you, you you guys shot this quite a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the first time we filmed was March. And then they came back up um, in end of April to shoot again. So it yeah. was... From December basically until July eighth, I think it was the day it came, it out. came out. It was right. it was pre production, filming, post production, and so right. it was yeah, it was a seven month process. Right. It was well, it's beautifully done. Yeah, they did a great you. job. They did. They. I mean, just I can't incredible. imagine like a more compelling and graceful way to introduce your story to the world. Yeah. Yeah. Super super grateful to to uninterrupted for for allowing me to share the story. Um, and it's not like I'm not a, a clearly not a household name. I'm, you know, I'm a golfer from the Symmetra tour. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I didn't have that clout, you know, to back it up, but they saw, they saw value in, in sharing a story like this. And I think the, the uniqueness of it and I'm just 
I can't really put into words how grateful I am towards Mm -hmm. them. Um, and just not only allowing me to share the story, but how they handled it and how they, um, they knew it was a a delicate subject and just involving me in areas that they probably usually don't allow, um, when they're working with an athlete, but just because of the, uh, the delicacy of, of the, of the subject, they, they included me a lot in, you know, in, in sort of the, the shaping of it and, and how it was presented and, um, just yeah, I don't. I, yeah. I just yeah, I have amazing things to say about about. I that, mean, it's so. not really a video about sports. Exactly, being an athlete. Exactly, it's it's I yeah, I have this crazy story, and I also happen to play golf, and and that was mm-hmm. very much so. That's kind of how we wanted to to frame it as well as um, it was. You know, I, I played golf at a high level, but this this other part of it is is way more obviously the, yeah. the the centerpiece so so that was like 5 or 6 weeks ago when this thing yeah yeah know, was published Hit in the, the world <laughs> and there's been you know a fair amount of media in the wake of that mm-hmm. usa today uh, golf digest or yeah, when, you know, like, there's been a lot of articles out yeah. um, but i would imagine it's been a pretty tumultuous topsy turvy last 6 weeks of you now being foisted, you know, by choice, by design, yep. you know, into this place where um, you're now, you know, associated with what it means to be intersex and and the focal point of conversations that are taking place around this subject, particularly yeah. in the context of sports and being an athlete. Totally, I think, and that's that was, and obviously, whenever the story was going to come out. I knew that that was the the direction the, the conversation was mm-hmm. going to go was, okay, well, this is great, but should she have been allowed to, to compete? Right. And that was always what I was most afraid of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <coughs> and yeah, it's, like I said, uh, yeah, try to avoid looking at comments from, you know, on these publications, but I, you know, do take a peek and, and kind of see what people say and, um, and it's tough. It's it's a it's a it's a complex issue. And um, you know, we talked kind of touched on on Castor earlier, and um, I don't think there is one um, easy solution or, or you yeah. know right answer. But um, just yeah, just kind of being now looked at as sort of uh, a voice for for this this you know gender and sport mm-hmm. you know topic um, and. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's well, it's, you're new to yeah. suddenly being a mouthpiece for this, exactly. Right, exactly. and so the sense that I get is you're trying to work all this out in real time, yep. but everyone's looking to you now to have an opinion about these things. And you know, I just know as somebody who has a very you know arm's length relationship with kind of what's going on in yep. this world, um, I have knee jerk reactions where it seems very black and white. Yeah. And even in preparing to talk to you today, like yeah. I really did some research into this world. And the more that I learn, the more I realized it is much more complex yeah. and nuanced than even I originally imagined. And I thought that I had a pretty good grip on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, I think, to your point, I have been kind of figuring this out as I go. And I don't have an official stance on, you know, I'm, I'm very much still formulating, like, cause all of this is still extremely new to me. I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm still doing your research. I'm still figuring out about myself and, mm-hmm. and what this all means. And, um, and like you said, people kind of, you know, want me to have a stance on it and, and stand for something. And, and it's tough because I'm just, I'm not there yet. And I'm, you know, I'm still figuring it out. And I think I kind of just go back to the idea of, you know, inclusion and, 
at the end of the day, that's that's the direction I think that we as a society are going. Um, we as you know athletes and, and the sports world in general are going. Um, you're starting to see way more inclusion, and mm-hmm. I think um, just sort of bending the way that we look at gender and 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 how we you know it's not black or white. It's very much a spectrum, and there's a lot of gray area. But with that, it's it is a complex issue, and it yeah. is something that I think both sides are going to have to make compromises in the, in the short term, at least. It's super difficult. Like basically what it is, is a human rights issue that is butting up against the interest of fairness in sport. Mm -hmm. And it's a gender identity issue that is also butting up against traditional ideas of fairness in sport and how you reconcile all of these things to create, um, you know, not an even playing field, but a playing field that we can all wrap our heads around that seems at least fair. Yeah, Like there is no good immediate solution. And it's interesting that you're this, you know, this this coming out, you know, July 8th when this video comes out, I mean, it's right on the heels of May 9th with this big meet where, where, you know, how do you say her last name? Semenya. Semenya. Castro Semenya, you know, competed at this event and is really challenging these new regulations and rules in track and field that are requiring her to lower her testosterone. And you know, from what I understand, her medical records are sealed, but yeah. there's there's been leaks and the kind of consensus is that you know, she's somewhere on the intersex spectrum. Correct. I mean, if you look yeah. at pictures of her, it's, yeah. it's not a leap right. you know, right. to imagine that that's the truth. Totally. Um, and so what does that mean as 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 an athlete who's competing at the highest level, I mean, she won gold in 2012 and 2016 in the 800 yeah. meters. Yeah. Going into 2020, now being forced to take uh, testosterone-reducing drugs in order to create some, you know, basic fairness in the sport. Like, I don't know that lowering testosterone is the right way. I understand right. the sentiment behind it. Like. She's a beast, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And if she is intersex, is that fair? Like, right. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, and yeah. we don't need to, you know, come to some determination of that. <laughs> We're right going to figure it out right now. But I do appreciate the complexity of it, and I can very much see both sides of this argument. Totally. totally. Yeah, it is tough. It's um, like you said. It's it's like first of all, who who decides that this level of testosterone is like, so someone set this, this level that she's above or whatever, that's the acceptable level. And it's like, okay, some, some person set that, that said, okay, well, this is, this is the, the quote unquote norm or whatever the case is. And she actually just got barred from, I don't know if you saw it from competing in the world championships. She can't defend her, uh, she yeah, can't defend her title. That, right. Yeah. And so there was an appeal, but the appeal was denied. Yeah, right. yeah. So I think, like you said, in the short term, there is no, there is no immediate answer. There's, there is no matter which way you go, one party is going to feel like they're being, you know, given Mm -hmm. the shaft or or however you want to phrase it. Um, so, and like you said, it's like, is, is the testosterone level, is that what, is that the determining factor as to why she's so great or why she's so uh, dominant in the sport? Right. So it's like, yeah, I think there's questions around, that in terms of how the science breaks down. I know right. that um, 
you know, whether you're, you're double X or XY yeah. is a big factor in how your body processes testosterone. Right. And testosterone isn't the only thing. But I think fundamentally, right. this is a person who was born a certain way in yep. the same way that you you are. And, right. and her argument is like, look, I, I've been a woman my whole life. Right. This is how I was born. If I'm naturally higher in certain aspects of of what it means to perform at the highest level, right. at what point does that become unfair? And the example that keeps getting raised is like, well, Michael Phelps has this incredible just, wingspan and yep. he's got giant feet and hands and yep. should we make him you know, get surgery to reduce the size of his hands because he's genetically gifted in a way that other people aren't? Yep. It's trickier with gender and sex though. It is, and that's someone actually asked me that question yesterday uninterrupted. Um, and this is a, a deeper topic that we don't have to go into, but I do think um, it is because she is female and the way we, not we, but society views strong dominant females. I think you look at the way, um, I brought this up yesterday, the way Megan Rapinoe has been treated and, and how she's been labeled. You know, mm -hmm. She goes and celebrates the goal and she's like, oh, she's so egotistical, she's so arrogant. And it's like her male counterpart goes and does that. Cristiano Ronaldo goes and celebrates the goal and everyone's- Greatest thing ever. Exactly, yeah. so it's like, why is there this double standard? Um, so it's, Yeah, if there yeah. was a male athlete who just had crazy high levels of testosterone, just nobody would say, well, that guy needs to take, needs to lower his testosterone. He needs to go take, take, some, <laughs> needs to go take <laughs> some estrogen. Like, yeah. it would be celebrated. Like, oh, he's such, you know, he's such a, uh, uh, yeah, like and it's a broader specimen. it's a broader conversation about not just gender and sexuality, but also fairness in sport. Right. right, you know, where do we draw these lines? And you know, we all want we all want some semblance of fairness, but um, but what does that look like, and what does that mean? And it breaks down when we get into this terrain. There was a really great episode of Malcolm Gladwell's um, podcast, Revisionist History, where he talked about this um, with respect to two pitchers. Um, baseball pitchers, one who, who, I'm forgetting their names, I yeah. should know this, but like one who had a surgery to repair um, whatever the rotator cuff or whatever it is. I know I'm totally misrecalling this, but um, that's totally fine. And yeah. he went back to normal. And the other pitcher who got some, it was steroids or some kind of you know injections mm -hmm. that were just used for medical purposes to kind of enhance the healing process so he could get back on the mound. And that person became a pariah, right? You know, so we have yeah. we in, and and that's you know th this is this is two like dudes, yeah. in Major League Baseball. Now imagine intersex and you know all of these other issues that get thrown in there, and all of our biases and right. historically how we think about these things. It just becomes like almost impossible to have a cogent discussion about it. Exactly. I I kind of go back to the idea of how are we evolving as humans. And I I attribute a lot of my athleticism, obviously genetics, but also having an older brother and having, you know, playing against him and him roughing me up and having to raise my game to meet his level. So it's like, and this is another example, it's like right now in the WNBA, there aren't a ton of women who are dunking the basketball at 10 feet, right? Mm -hmm. So I've, you know, there's on Twitter or whatever, there's in the past, there's been discussions, well, should we lower the hoops to eight feet to make the game a little more exciting or, or how should we handle that? And it's like, well, what happens if we lower the, the, the hoop to eight feet? We're not gonna, we're not gonna you know, uh, continue, as evolve, continue to evolve as humans. Someday at 10 feet, there's gonna be women who are throwing down the basketball all the time. I don't know how far into the future that is, but that's gonna be, because you set uh, a, um, a level, we will meet it. So it's like, what are we saying if, 
we don't allow caster or anyone who's intersex to compete. If they identify as female and they were born female, if we bar them, I think we're we're doing the greater you know good a disservice. I think allowing these people to compete um, will maybe not tomorrow or in, in a year or two, but maybe five, ten years down the road, it is going to raise the level of of competition, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard, man. Yeah, because I I can easily see the other side. Yeah, exactly. The, like, the, the, like, if well, I was if I was an Olympic eight hundred meter female right. runner, right. and I see Caster, I'm like, yeah, I can't compete with that. Yeah. That person is 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 fundamentally different from me. Right. There's and there's should be characterized as such. There's there's um there's components of her that no matter how hard I work, no matter what I do, I will not be able yeah. to compete. And all you have to do is look at the times. Yeah. Like they're so much better. Yeah. You and know. in track, especially, it's like like her numbers are like astronomical, like in terms yeah. of like distances of of the you know uh, what she wins by is you know in, in track terms. Yeah, I think in the, at that meet in May, she beat the American record holder by like four or five seconds, right, or something. which is insane. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like so. But then you looking back on your career as a golfer, yeah. like there has to be some aspect of you that you know, has to own the fact that you had an advantage. For sure. There's some benefit to being wired the way that you're wired yep. that, that allowed you to be successful as yeah. an athlete. Yeah, and I think like the, how far I hit the golf ball is, 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 definitely, is definitely one thing. I'd easily, um, the, the longest hitter on, on, mm-hmm. on probably any tour if I were to go out right now. Um, and what's funny about that is it's great. It's great to hit the, the ball, you know, really far. Um, it can also be a, a great detriment. Um, Symmetra Tour typically plays golf courses that are shorter and tighter, which for someone that hits the ball a long way is an advantage. It's actually, you know, I'm so many times I would only hit driver one or two times during a round. I'd, you know, constantly be hitting like two iron off the tee or three wood and, and essentially taking my greatest weapon out of my bag because I'm not going to hit driver on a, on a hole that's short and narrow because the chances that I hit in the trees are, you know, pretty high. So not to say that this is like a disadvantage, but golf is funny in that, that something that can be viewed as a huge advantage can also be a disadvantage, mm-hmm. but absolutely they're looking at the way I was born and, and how it put me, um, in a place, uh, that other women that I was competing against simply wouldn't be able to get to no matter what they did, that's an advantage. And that's Mm -hmm. something that, yeah, I do have to accept and, and own. And that's a part, you know, that's a whole part of this. Yeah. How do you think about all these things in the transgendered athlete community? Because then it becomes even harder to uh, wrap your head around. Yeah. It's, I think there has been a couple of cases in the Northeast somewhere where there's been, um, transgender, um, boys who identify as girls have been allowed to compete, um, as girls in track meets. Mm-hmm. And you want to talk about uh, a sticky subject that, yeah. um, I think, I think it goes back to kind of what I was talking about earlier about how just because I was biologically born this way or genetically born this way, it doesn't make how I feel internally more legitimate than someone that was born fully functioning male who identifies as a female. Um, I think when you involve sports, it obviously makes it extremely difficult and tricky, but from a human element, um, it doesn't, it doesn't make my case more legitimate because I have science to back it. It's, Mm -hmm. I think it's just, it's just about people having compassion for people and understanding that 
you truly don't know how someone, how they're feeling on the inside or what they're going through. Um, and you, you need to respect that. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult subject. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, this is, this is a situation in which I really want to fully understand all aspects of this debate and yeah. this argument. And maybe it is because I'm 52 years old yeah. and grew up in a different time. Yeah. But to me, I look at the clear cut cases like a, a transgender woman who is in um, combat sports yeah. or powerlifting. Right. And those seem to be you know, people who have uh, undebatable advantages. Right. Um, and it's odd to me that we're debating this at all, but then you know, I watched a little mini documentary on Vice about mm -hmm. this powerlifting uh, transgendered woman mm -hmm. named JC. And, you know, she looks at it as a human rights issue. Yeah. And she feels like she has met all of the sort of regulations right. that she was supposed to meet and yeah. took her testosterone reducing drugs and, you know, all the like, and is adamant that she should be allowed to compete. And I have a, it's a harder leap for me to see her point of view yeah. than it is for me to go, look, you, if, you, if you were born and raised male mm -hmm. and you developed you know, a certain bone density and musculature and all of that, and right. then you, you transition to female, and then you go into the boxing ring or the, the cage and you're in an MMA fight, mm -hmm. like it, it's, it almost seems unsafe and, 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 and certainly unfair. Yeah, yeah, I think, for me, it's it's definitely a case of seeing both sides to it. I think you have to look at it from from both points of view and imagine imagine yourself as you know a fully functioning female, you know, growing up and and what that entails, how your body develops, and and the physical um, disadvantage you have compared to a fully functioning male. You grow up your whole life, you do all these things, you you reach the top level you know, in the MMA and all of a sudden you're, you're standing, you know, in the ring with someone who was born fully male and transitioned to female. Um, from that person's point of view, I, yeah, I'd, I'd feel, I'd probably feel a certain way about it. Um, I think because these rules and regulations are in place and requirements that, okay, if you're a male and you want to transition and compete as a female, this is, this is what has to happen. This mm -hmm. is these are the steps you have to take. I mean, that's it's the best they can do right now, right? And I, I just don't. It's it's so hard to come to a definitive conclusion on um, on who's right, who's wrong. What's what's the best way to go about this? And kind of like what I said earlier was, both sides are going to have to compromise. And in in this idea that inclusion has to be the number one priority, and and everyone no matter how you're born, how you feel, what you identify as, there is a place for you to compete at the highest level in, in whatever um, in whatever avenue you go yeah, down. Yeah, participation in sports is, you know, a human right. Yeah. And right. I, I certainly don't want to be somebody who would prevent or bar anyone from, right. you know, pursuing their love of sport. Um, and I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to kind of watch this unfold over yeah. time. And I would say to anybody who's listening to this who – is transgendered or intersex or has a very different point of view on this, yeah. I'm open and willing to learn. Like my ideas on this are evolving. Totally. Like this is just kind of where I'm at right now as somebody who's barely glanced at this issue. Yeah. So I don't wanna 
assert that like I have a firm grip on this and that yeah. you know I have an ironclad yeah. you know opinion like I I'm I'm open and I want to learn more. That's and that's like that's the most important thing is that you know people and that's that's what's wrong with our society in general is people just like nope this is the way it is this is how I feel about it and I'm not changing my mind. It's like if everyone could just have an open mind and and be open to you know different possibilities we would get we'd make a lot more progress yeah. than 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 we do. The problem is I think the overwhelming majority of people are, you know, closed-minded and aren't willing to to shift their um, the way they view things or the way they feel about something because of their experience in in growing up or, or whatever the case is. Right. And um, but I totally agree. I think um, as long as people have an open mind, we can we can eventually. I don't know when, but we will eventually get to a common ground where where everyone feels seen and and things are as as fair as as they can be. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll, see. well, here we are. You're six weeks out from you know sharing this publically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you reached out to me like you, yeah. you're wanting to tell this story and to yeah. share it. So I can't help but presume that that there's some aspect of you that wants to be, you know, if not a role model, like somebody who is in this conversation, you know, in service to other people who are you know struggling quietly yeah. with what you had to go through. Yeah, I think I look back. To myself as a twelve-year-old, and and you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't change how this how everything played out from when I found out until until this moment sitting here with you. Um, but I do think that a big motivation for me in telling this story and, and coming on you know this podcast and, and sharing it in other in other areas is to be a voice for for kids um, or or adults who are struggling with this or struggling with any sort of identity or whatever they're going through and that, um, there is a platform for you to be seen and to be heard and, and how you're born and how you feel is validated and it is legitimized. And, um, and just, you know, so much of life is just finding commonalities with people and being able to relate. And I remember the first time I met up with, um, someone for the first time knowing that they were intersex going into this meeting. Um, it was something I'll never forget. It was the most incredible experience for the first time getting to relate to someone in person that has gone through the exact same things um, as me. So kind of taking that and putting it on a platform that obviously I can't meet every single intersex person to ever exist. So, and not every intersex person to ever exist will see this story, but the more that I can um, share it and put light on it, hopefully the the more corners of the world it'll reach and um, you don't have to be intersex to, to relate to my story I think I think everyone is going through something internally that um, you know they or something that they feel on the inside that they don't feel like they can share or uh, you know talk about or or identify with um, this is the stories for them as well and whatever you're feeling on the inside it's you know it needs to be respected and it needs to be um, addressed and and you you will always have people in your life that are that are willing to to sit down and, and hear you. So, yeah. what is the one thing that you you know want that person to hear, who who you know who is dealing with this quietly? I think what I would have wanted to hear um, is that the way you're born is is perfect. You're perfect just the way you are. Um, we live in a society that that tells us there's there's two genders and there's there's roles within those genders and you know. I, I think forget about it. Don't don't worry uh-huh. about it. Um, you're unique. You're perfect, and just own it. Um, I think 
if someone would have told me that at 12 years old when I had just found out, I think that would have made a, a pretty profound impact on me. Um, maybe not immediately, but in time. Yeah. And I think I would have been in a place where I could have could have dealt with this before I turned 30. But yeah, um, yeah I just think that no matter what, no matter what your genetic makeup is, no matter how you were born, you're, you're perfect just the way you are. So. Well, it's interesting times right now yeah. because now we are talking about this in a way we never have historically. Um, you know, the subject of of transgender rights is you know first it's front front and center. Yeah. Uh, more and more people are coming out, and there's a broadening of understanding on these issues. Why do you think this is happening now? It's not like yeah, because people intersect- didn't yeah, exist. Exactly. Exactly. This, is, this has been going on yeah. the whole time, but it's only now that we're really dealing yeah. with it. Yeah, I think I think you know the world around us is is getting smaller because of you know social mm-hmm. media and and people are as are as close and as uh, able to communicate uh, as quickly as ever. And I think people are are yearning for that that sense of community and that sense of identifying with other people that are like minded. Um, and I think that's, that's the single driving force behind this. Um, and it's funny because the person that kind of changed my, you know, kind of helped me flip my paradigm. Um, you know, I, I, it was like a, you know, interpersonal connection, but, um, people are, you know, reaching out to all corners of the earth, trying to find people that are like them or or like-minded. And, um, you know, you go back even, even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people weren't as connected as they are to this day. So I think, you know, people are finding out that, oh, there are a lot of people out there that think like me, that are like me. Like we deserve to be, we deserve to be seen. We deserve to be heard. And I think you're seeing people kind of grow that, that confidence and that, that self, that, that sense of, um, you know, I, I want to put myself out there. And I think that's, you know, it's a beautiful thing. And I hope that it only continues and I think it will only continue. So. Yeah. Well, we need more role models and and people that are willing to step out, yeah. you know, into the into the spotlight yeah. and kind of own this in a public way. And we are right. seeing that slowly. Like it's amazing. I don't know if you watch Billions, but No, I don't. Asia I, I Kate know Dillon, is, yeah. you know, playing Taylor on that show. I mean, their performance in that program is it's really a game changer. Yeah. It's really quite something because you can't take your eyes off them. Like yeah. the performance is incredible. Yeah. Uh, there's so much charisma and it's such a bold character in the show, a pivotal character. Mm-hmm. And to see that like writ large in a very prominent, um, well-received television show yeah. is is not a small thing. And I think we're gonna start seeing more and more of that. That's kind of my hope. It's like, there's, I don't, in a major you know, film, there's never been an intersex character, right? Um, which, when that happens, will be the coolest thing ever. Like, I think, uh-huh. just just thinking about everyone that will see that and come to at least get an elementary understanding of what being intersex is. Um, that's that's going to be a huge day, and, it, and like you said, it is coming. I think we're we're you know, hurling down this road of of inclusion and, and shedding light on on all these things that our generations generations past have you know put under the rug. So. Right. Well, education is everything. It is. And and it's like, look, you know, intersex is a new thing for a lot of people. Yep. It was for me. Yep. And it, and it is important to not conflate it with the transgendered community. Yep. It is a different thing. I mean, there's yep. obviously overlap in that Venn diagram, but yep. it's its own distinct thing. What do you think people most misunderstand about you and who you are and what you stand for? That's a really good question. Um, I think 
I think people probably like I'm sitting here in my entire life. I've just felt normal. Like I just feel normal. Uh-huh. Like, I just feel like a human. I just feel just how I am. And I think people in the way that some of the things that they've said, they, they almost come at it from the standpoint of, wow, you must feel like an alien or something. You must feel like really different or, and I do in some areas, but I do just like, I think that's any topic in life is, you know, whether you're a different race or different gender or whatever is you just feel you and you just feel human and normal. And I think people from what I've, you know, in conversations I've had, I think people think I feel like an alien or something like if from a different planet or something, but I don't, I just, I just feel like Kendra, I just feel normal. And I think mm. people, um, don't understand that they have yeah. this preconceived, like, yeah, you must feel really different. And it's like, no, I just, I'm just Kendra. I just, you know, well, I would imagine you feel better now, like more comfortable in your own skin now because you've owned this completely. Yeah. You've, you know, communicated with your loved ones and now yeah. it's a public thing and yeah. you're standing in that, right? So yeah. there's none of that dissonance and, you know, there's no longer a secret that's yeah. like eroding, you know, your exactly your insides and all of that. Like it, I, I would imagine there's a sense of freedom that even you know, a couple of years ago, you couldn't access. Yeah, it was just total liberation. That's the best way I can explain it. Uh-huh. It's it's amazing just in hindsight, looking back and seeing how in every aspect of my life this affected me and in areas that I didn't even realize. I mean, every single aspect of my life, this this thing was looming over me and I got really good at blocking it out and pretending it didn't exist. But subconsciously, of course, you always know that it's there. And I always just had like this, this anxiety about it, like this, this, this cloud or that I was, and I was like this, I was hiding something and, and it was almost not something that I was, you know, 24 seven, every single day, you know, all parts of the day aware of, it was, you know, kind of subconscious, but, and, and that's just disappeared. It's just, Uh it's gone. And that is like, everyone deserves that. And like I said, there's varying degrees of what people are going through, but I'm sure everyone has some sort of element to something they're going through that if it, if they addressed it and let it be free, they would feel this way and everyone deserves to feel this way. And it's just, it's almost like an out of body experience. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty great. And I I don't want everyone to feel this way. Uh So I have to ask you, I want to be like respectful of, Boundaries, and I don't want to be insensitive, no, but I'm just no curious. Boundaries here. Like this might seem frivolous, but I'm interested in how you figure out how you want to um, portray yourself to the world. Like, do I wear a dress? Like, you're wearing a black T-shirt now, yeah. but you're wearing earrings. You yeah, know? it's like yeah. there's this mix. Like, yeah. or or maybe like, do you play around with that? Like, how do you figure out what your aesthetic is? Yeah, because ter- this is the forward-facing yeah. you. This is how the world receives you. So I would imagine there's some intention and thought that goes into that. Yeah. Um, very, um, what you're, what I'm wearing, I'm wearing yeah. cons, black jeans and a black shirt. Right. This is pretty much all I wear. Uh, uh-huh. I wear, I wear <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> See, exactly. And it's like, that's I've cool. got like 10 black t-shirts yeah. and that's pretty much what I wear. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And that's something that we can, we uh-huh. have a commonality and we can relate to, which is cool. Mm-hmm. like, regardless of gender, you know? So, um, yeah, just kind of non, not that I identify as non-binary or whatever, let me just say, like, for me personally, like, I don't feel strongly about, like, that. Like, I'm not, like, you know, I've so many times people have been like, okay, well, what are your pronouns? And I'm like, uh-huh. 
for me personally, I just, I, uh, yeah, she, she, her, of course, but like, I don't know. I don't feel really strongly about it and I don't know what that means or whatever. I just, do you feel pressure? Like you have to, you have to be, uh, like a social justice warrior in a way that doesn't feel authentic to you. I, exactly. Couldn't have said it better. Mm -hmm. Um, all, all I can do is in, in trying to be authentic is, is speak to how I feel. And, um, I guess it's like not like, because my whole life I was trying so hard to put myself in a box. I think that's a part of it that I, now I'm like, I don't want to be put in a box. I don't like, I would never, I would never identify as non-binary and, and, and be referred to as they, or, you know, whatever. Um, nor would I want to be called he, you know, um, but well, that's your prerogative. Yeah. That's the whole point. Exactly. You get to choose. Exactly. And if people feel strongly about that and they want to, and they have their pronouns, I think that's awesome. Whatever, whatever is authentic to you, do it. That's, that's my message really. Just, just be authentic, whatever that looks like. And mm -hmm. so like for me, authentic is, is skinny jeans, black tea and, and some cons. That's and if I could wear that the rest of my life, I'll, I'll be happy. Uh -huh. So, well, you can <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a free world, right? Uh -huh. So that's, that's, that's the goal. So where do you go from here? You're not playing golf anymore. Right. I think you, you mentioned before we started the podcast that you're doing something with Nike golf now. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I, I just accepted a position with Nike golf, um, last, last week. It's not actually fully official, but kind of is so hopefully uh -huh. hopefully uh, what is that doing what so it's a brand manager role um and it's it's kind of a unique role um in that i think you know they're kind of looking to bring someone on that has a different perspective of the golf industry the golf consumer someone that has played at a high level and i haven't you know i'm not super well versed in the corporate world i just never have been and my my skill set is sports and, mm -hmm. and i have a creative background as well and um i think they were kind of looking for someone to come in and bring in and offer a different perspective and point of view. And, um, that doesn't have that, that history of that, that corporate background. So right. that's kind you of know, what you have, like some background in photography mm -hmm. and filmmaking mm -hmm. and like a branding yep. background as well. Right? Yeah. And I think that was, you know, that was something that was enticing to them as well. And, um, and it, I didn't get this opportunity because of the story, but I think, and that was kind of expressed to me that that is something that makes my, um, my profile unique as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think they're just kind of looking for, for someone to come in and, and shake things up and, and offer something, something different. So yeah. I'm really excited about it. And like I said, I was a Nike athlete when I was on tour. I, I played when they were still making golf clubs, played Nike clubs in, in college and, um, went to the U of O, which is of course where it started. And right. So I've kind of been kind of been hand in hand with with Nike yeah. for my whole life. So and and how do you think about this you know evolving role as you as this sort of mouthpiece spokesperson? Yeah, you know role model. I would imagine you're getting opportunities. People are wanting you to come and speak. And yeah, I think that's something that that's on my radar. Um, like I like it's tough for me because I think yeah I think you made this point earlier was people are looking to me to have an opinion and have an official stance and feel very strongly, you know, very much one way, but in a funny way, it's like, I'm almost coming at it from the standpoint of, I don't necessarily want to be black and white on this issue because we live in a, in a, in a world where there is so mm. much gray area and maybe that's kind of a cop but out. Thematically, but, yeah. no, it's perfect because you're not like, <laughs> yeah. your whole thing is like defying this duality exactly. like in being non-binary. Yeah. 
Like, so yeah. how could you be binary on the issue? Exactly. Like, it's part and parcel of your... <laughs> it is. I know. Like, there are so many, like, metaphors and You just, like, are literally gray, yeah. so your perspective is gray. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't yeah. have said it any Well, better. that doesn't work for people, though. They want you to, like, you, we want you to come and speak, but here's the line we want you to tow. And yep. um, that's kind of, you know, how culture is functioning right now in a, in a, in a not good way. 100%. Um, and that, so that's, yeah, going forward, I think... I do want to be someone that is looked to to offer a offer a perspective on what I've been through in my my Mm -hmm. life and and like I said I think I obviously want people who were born intersex that may be going through something similar that I did to look at the story and and find solace and and feel validated. I also want it to relate to people who are just going through anything in general that they feel like they can't talk about or can't live out. Um, so in ter- I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to see me in rallies, you know, protesting in front of courthouses and stuff like that. That's just not who I am, you know, to my core, like from a standpoint of being authentic. Um, but my whole thing is just, just, just inclusion. And I will continue yeah. to continue, continue to talk about inclusion wherever this takes me and, and whatever platform I have. And, right. um, I just inclusion and compassion. That's, that's really the, the two main things for uh-huh. me. So. And how's the dating going? <laughs> Come on, I have to ask. Oh my! Goodness. You don't have to answer. Wow, on the spot. Um, not. You could wh- just say fine or or not or whatever. Not like, not you don't well. Have to answer. No, I'll just be honest. I, I mean, I think my life has been has been crazy in the last uh-huh. in the last six weeks, and um, and it you know, basically when this process started back in December. Um, I really just secluded myself from the world. Yeah. Daniel can probably talk to me, you know, just ghosting and just not being available to hang out. And it was such a, it was such a weird time going from December until July from when it came out, just almost feeling like I, like, because this was going on and I was going to be hanging out with people that I wanted to tell, but I couldn't, or I didn't know if I should, I did kind of seclude myself. And I think a, a lot of this, in coming out in, in in the last few weeks and moving forward here in the in the near future is you know opening myself to to people whether it's friendship relationship whatever mm-hmm. um, of course I want that I think you know everyone everyone wants that but um, and I think when you do open yourself to that the universe kind of you know provides that um, right. and so that's that's what I'm hoping at least right, cool. <laughs> that's what I tell myself well. I'm excited for uh, what's to become with you. Um, you. I think your your story is super powerful. It's important. Um, it was very courageous of you to own it and come out in the way that you did. And I really appreciate you sharing it with me today. And I think it's going to be a beacon of light and, and hope for a lot of people out there. Yeah. So in closing, um, are there any resources that come to mind? Like if somebody's listening to this and and, and they're relating to you, but they feel alone. Like, are there therapeutic resources? Are there certain websites that you know of that I can put in the in the show notes, or that you can mention now where people can go to learn more? Yeah, if you just if you use Google Interact, um, that's that's a huge uh, resource that was actually uh, I was made aware of a few months ago. But in in the story coming out, people from Interact reached out and said, "Hey, like, just want to introduce ourselves. Like, we have uh, we have cells, you know, kind of all over the country. We have a cell in Portland that mm. you know, a community where you can reach out and you can you know connect with other intersex people. Um, I think that's that's the the one for sure. Uh, right, so cool. if you just Google that, that'll 
kind of you know find your wherever you're located should have should have resources there to right. uh, provide so and if people want to connect with you what's yeah. the best way uh just instagram twitter at kendra underscore lit so l-i-t-t l-i-t-t yeah yeah two t's there's, some, there's there's a few kendra littles out there okay real, real quick there's like a software engineer yes. and there's a designer funny story it, it pops up when you google you kendra little another kendra little reached out to me after she saw my story and she was like hey never heard of you this story's amazing whatever i was like oh cool two weeks later i'm looking at her twitter profile again she lives in portland no way. Yes. I was like, and I tweeted, I was like, wait, did I, how did I miss that you're in Portland as well? So I, I don't know. Like, do you know many Kendra's in your life? <laughs> no, I don't know. Like, and let alone yeah. Kendra Little. Kendra, that is pretty crazy. So she's in Portland. Yeah. So maybe we're, we're talking about getting coffee. So. All right. So, good. Yeah. Your folks okay? Yeah. They're yeah. happy? Yeah, they're great. Yeah, they're actually moving back down to Eugene, which is which obviously where I grew up. And uh-huh. my sister just is popping out babies. So my mom's <laughs> right. going to be in heaven down there helping raise those. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, every, everything's, everything's moving in, in a positive direction. So cool. Well, uh, everybody listening, check out the video, the undefeated video. I'll put a link to so that is our uninterrupted. Why did I say undefeated? Whatever. Uninterrupted. Nah, undefeated yeah. is a sneaker store. In LA. <laughs> um, uninterrupted. Yeah. I'll put the link in the show notes to that. Everybody should watch that and, uh, come back and talk to me again sometime. Thanks so much for having me on. Super yeah, grateful. Appreciate it. How Thank you, you. Feel? you feel okay? Awesome. Good. Amazing. We did it, yeah, right? We did it. It was cool. Yeah. All right. Thank Peace. you so much. What an incredible, beautiful being you are, Kendra. Thank you for trusting me with helping tell your story. I hope that you guys enjoyed that, were touched by that. I think it's really powerful. Uh, For more on Kendra, please check out the show notes on the episode page at richroll.com. Watch Becoming More. I'll put a link up to that as well. Her little mini doc produced by Uninterrupted. And uh, let her know how this one landed for you by sharing your thoughts with her directly on Twitter and Instagram at Kendra underscore lit, L-I-T-T. If you'd like to support the work we do here on the show, subscribe, rate, and comment on the program on Apple Podcasts. That really helps with discovery, getting new people on board with what we're doing here. Tell your friends about your favorite episode, share the show on social media, subscribe to my YouTube channel, find the show and subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to this. And you can support us on Patreon at richroll.com forward slash donate. I wanna thank everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiello for audio engineering, production, show notes, interstitial music, Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin for their video genius, Jessica Miranda for graphics, Allie Rogers for portraits, DK for advertiser relationships, and as always, theme music by Analemma. Appreciate all of you guys. I don't take your attention for granted. I can't do this without you. So thank you for all the love and I will see you back here next week with our best of 2019. Until then, be you because we all need all of you to be more of who you truly are. Peace. Bye.